Hello and welcome to the Cowboy Jesus Podcast, Riding the Rodeo of Religion and Life. I'm Steve Poos Benson. I am the host of the podcast. Today is episode 59. And on this episode, in this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Columbine United Church's Sarah Rex. What we want to explore today is exvangelicalism and the evangelical church and what, it, what does it mean to deconstruct our faith and reconstruct our faith. I've invited Sarah to join me today because she has a very unique story about growing up in the evangelical church and uh, and her whole journey away from evangelicalism and then into a whole new process of her faith. So many of you know Sarah, some of you don't. Sarah is a wonderful, lively person. Sarah, it's good to have you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive in. All right. It's great to be here, Steve. Um, my name is Sarah Rex. I'm originally from Massachusetts. Uh, I moved to Denver with my husband in tw- 20, uh, 2002. And husband is? My husband is Greg Roche. He's usually at the soundboard at church in the back. Uh-huh. Um, he comes to the second service. Uh, we have two kids. I have a son who's 19 years old and a daughter who's 15 years old. And your son is in the military? Yes, he is. He's in the Army. Um, he joined the Army right before his senior year in high school. Yeah, so that's so. really cool. So he really kind of had his career goals in mind. He did. That's he awesome. did. That's We're awesome. not really a military family, so it's a little bit weird. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's happy to be doing it. So That's cool. Well, let's dive in. Uh, you know, again, as I said, the whole purpose is understanding what is uh, an ex-evangelical person? What is an ex-evangelical movement? And you kind of fit the bill for that. So, uh, let, Sarah, I want you to tell me, what did, it, what did it mean for you to grow up in an evangelical family? Okay, so uh, when I grew up, um, it was like the early 70s. I went to a Baptist church growing up. And my mother, somewhere around like 1972, I think, she, um, she rededicated her life to the Lord. And she, <laughs> <laughs> and she also um, got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what, does when, that mean? what does it mean getting baptized uh, in the Holy Spirit? Baptized in the Holy Spirit is when you start speaking with other tongues. Huh. So she started speaking with other tongues, and she was in this really kind of conservative Baptist church. And slowly, she she was a very compelling person, and people sort of followed her lead. And she had a Bible study out of our out of our home. She probably had twenty ladies that came to our house every Tuesday morning, and she taught the Bible, and she like. It, and she, <laughs> she taught the Bible, and these women came to our house, and they kind of followed her, and slowly our church started becoming more, uh, I would say, spirit-filled or evangelical, charismatic, clapping hands, raising hands, you know. Speaking becoming, in tongues. Speaking in seeing, tongues, seeing yes. In, this was yes. like at your house, in your living room? Um, yes, 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 oh yes, my yes. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. They had, like, people would come in and, like, do um, exorcisms, like when they thought people had demons and stuff, and they'd cast in out. In your living room? Yes, cast out the devil out of people. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah. I heard about this in churches, but in your freaking living room? Yes, yes, yes. Like, how up. many people? Um, um, I remember it happened to this one woman in, partic- in particular, and I was really small, and I remember she was, like, coughing and spitting over our sink, and they were, like, getting the devil out of her, I guess. I don't know. But I, I remember when everybody left, I looked in the sink like, I wonder what the devil looks like, you know? Because <laughs> I thought for sure she'd coughed him up. How, you know? how old are you? <laughs> Probably... You know, it was before school, so four years old, maybe. Oh, my you know, gosh. Four years so old. you have memories that go yes. all the way back? Yeah, four well, or five, kind yeah. kind of go into, like, elementary, older okay. elementary, junior high, high school. Mm-hmm. So then um, here I am at church, and, of course. So you, um, so it goes from being in your house to going in a church somewhere? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's still, it's still the, um, the Baptist church, but slowly my Baptist church was changing, and people were starting to clap their hands and raise their hands and stuff, and they ended up changing the name of my childhood Baptist church from uh, First Baptist Church of North Reading to Trinity Evangelical. Huh. So it's now called Trinity Trinity Evangelical Church. So they, I mean, they were headed that way. Um, now, so, are, are they still speaking in tongues, baptizing yes, the Spirit, yes, casting yes, out demons? Yes, 
Yes. So that's you grew what they up do. with yes. this. Yeah, yeah. This is how I grew up. Oh, so, gosh. Yeah. So um, it was very, very important to be in church when the doors were open to the church. So I was in church every Sunday. The, the There was an early service, then there was an evening service on Sundays, and then there was a Wednesday night prayer meeting. And I went to that. And then there was youth group. So that was like Sunday afternoons. So I spent a lot of time in church. And it's funny because, you know, with my kids now, my kids, you know, when they say they don't want to go to church, I'm like, oh, I, I, I can't believe you have an opinion. You know, like I never was allowed to say I, I didn't want to go to church. Of course I had to go to church. It was never even, never crossed my mind to not do the right thing or what they expected me to do. And I was trying so hard to get God to love me and to think that I was, you know, worthy. So I was trying so hard all the time to get other people saved and to pray the magic prayer, which is what I call it now, but the sinner's prayer with people. The the sinner's prayer. First of all, do you have siblings? Yes. Yes. And I'm the youngest. So my older siblings didn't experience this as much as I did because Uh I was last. And Uh my mom really shifted her thinkings around, I think I was around first grade, really when things started really shifting and getting, you know, really strict in our home. Like I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of TV. I wasn't allowed to go to Halloween. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, you know, it became really, really uh, like I, looking back now, I feel like it's a cult. But when you're in it and a child in it, you're trying so hard to say, this is what's good for me. This is what's right. This I So anything that you felt inside that maybe felt like this isn't right, you always sh- sort of smooshed that down and sort of did what the people around you expected you to do, especially because I sang. So there was a lot of pressure on me to sing for the Lord, to use my gifts for God's glory, to you know, get people saved through my voice, to usher in the Holy Spirit through how I sang a song or different things like that. So I felt a lot of pressure to be this perfect Christian because people were always looking at me and I needed to, to do what they needed me to do so that I could further God's kingdom like God needed me or something. So were you speaking in tongues? <laughs> no, I didn't speak in tongues until college. But you did speak in tongues in college? Yes. Wow. Okay, yes, yes, we'll hold yes. off on that. So in high school, were you actively trying to get fellow high school kids to come to church? And No, I sort of backslid a little bit in high school. <laughs> I did. What does know. it mean to backslide? Uh, you don't know what it means to backslide. I don't, but they don't, but they don't know <laughs> okay. what it means. Backsliding is when you're not really following God to your fullest potential. You you take steps away from God and you start doing things like, I don't know, sinning, drinking with your friends on the weekends and stuff like that. So I was always like a fun, loving person. I wanted to have fun. So if drinking was fun, I wanted to be there. But I was very much um, sequestered in my house and wasn't allowed to go out a lot at all. So every once in a while, if my parents went away or something, or they had somebody watching me, I could actually go to a party or I could do something. But I thought at those times that I was being sinful. There was a lot of repenting going out of my heart. I thought I was a bad person. I, you know, I struggled a lot with thinking that I, uh, that you know, someday I was going to recommit my life to the Lord and I was going to, you know, do everything for his glory again, you know, like I had when I was little. (laughs) So that happened around my senior year in high school, I decided to go to Oral Roberts University, which is a charismatic Christian um, college in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And Oral Roberts is a televangelist all through the 70s and 80s. My parents always watched the show and they had singers on there and I was like, ooh, they can sing and it was really good. And so I wanted, I knew I wanted to get away from my home life And Tulsa was like pretty far away from Massachusetts. And so I just got on a plane and and went to college in Tulsa because basically... Had you visited the college? Yeah, I visited by Uh myself. Like I went to a college weekend, but that's the only place I visited. It wasn't really like there were options. It was like, you will go to ORU and we will pay for it. (laughs) So that's why I went there. Um, But I got there and right away got plugged into their music ministries program, started singing and leading worship. And before long, I was like all in. I was trying so hard to be this person that I thought God wanted me to be. And it was a constant striving, um, just trying to be 
who I was supposed to be. I'm going to start crying. I'm a mess. <laughs> well, go ahead. You can, cry. you can cry. It was a really hard time in my life because I I wanted so bad to be the people like the people I saw around me who really, you know, would cry and worship and felt so bad for Jesus who gave his life for us. Like they would be talk of like people just were broken before God and it was so beautiful to me. And I always was sitting there like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I love God that much. What if I'm, what if I'm not really a Christian? Like what if I'm, and I would struggle and just have inner turmoil over not being the, the Christian that I thought I was supposed to be. So. Tremendous amounts of pressure. Yeah. Tremendous amounts of pressure. And also, I mean, there's, you know, 4,000 kids that go to school there and two days a week, I was the person in front of them singing. And so everybody knew me. So mm-hmm. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything or get, like, do anything that was sinful, <laughs> you know, or something that they considered sinful. Like I, drinking, yes, partying. Yes, anything, you know, kissing a boy. I mean, you know, like there you was... You were under a, a microscope. Yes, I was under a definite microscope. There were people that followed me around. I had a woman follow me one day and yelling behind me, woman of God, oh, God. woman of God. And I turned around and I was like, I'm sorry, do you mean me? And she's like, yes. I need, and she started like telling me her whole life story. And, and there were people that would always come up to me and like seek my guidance. And I'm not a pastor. I'm, not, I'm just this person who happened to sing. And I loved the stage. And I wanted to be in front of people singing. It, it brought me joy. It's like what God created me to do. But I felt the pressure that I wasn't allowed to do anything but Christian music. Mm-hmm. So it was always like this, I don't know, pressure to do that. Anyway. Okay, so this is all through college. College, yes. When did you start to realize that there were some, something is not right? There like some cracks in the foundation. Like if you grew up with this, you went to Oral Roberts. Yes. You got all this pressure. Okay, so let me let me just try to back up here. Okay. okay. So here I am in college. Um, I graduated from college. Um, my first job out of college, I became the music ministries director at Oral Roberts. So I was in charge of putting groups together and taking them overseas and having them like sing on the streets, you know, in Budapest, Hungary, and you know, sing Romania. Sing on the streets. Yes, we sang all in the streets everywhere. We'd set up, we'd sing, we'd get people saved. We'd t- write in our ticker how many people we got saved, so we could come back to ORU and say we got four thousand people saved this summer, you know. And then it, it was like this big thing because we were supposed to advance the kingdom of God. So I spent a lot of those years just singing and, you know, getting people saved. So then, uh, 1993, I'd been at my job. So I graduated in 1990, so three years. And I... So you're 25. Yeah, well, I graduated when I was 21, so 22, 23, 24. 24. Yeah, I was 24 years old. And um, I just... I don't know what it is. I, I feel like I sort of cracked under the pressure of, I had gone out to dinner at a restaurant where they had singing waiters. And the singing waiters were singing um, Broadway music. And I was like, oh, this music is so beautiful. I love this. And I knew that was sinful and wrong. And I shouldn't be loving music that wasn't, you know, pointing people towards Jesus. So I, I was like, I didn't want to stay in my job because I felt like it was the pressure was a lot to to be p- putting a show together every you know it was uh-huh. it was a lot, and I was really young and I was you know bringing kids all over the world and I, I don't know I just I quit one day it was it was August of 1993 I walked away and I became a waitress at that restaurant mm-hmm. where they sang Broadway show tunes and the first songs I ever learned were from Les Mis. And I still didn't know how to sing with my eyes open. I still sang with my eyes closed, hands raised. <laughs> because how funny is I that? yeah, because the only way I'd ever sung, my eyes were closed and I was always worshiping God. So to try to learn and the, the people are like, Your voice is beautiful, but you need to open your eyes. <laughs> so I had to sort of like teach myself how to sing and tell the story of the song, not to God, but to the people who were in the room and sort of, you know, be the character. And I had never done that in my life. So it was like, a, you know, I was learning new things. During this time, I met a lot of people who were what I would consider heathens, you know, people who are not following God. You know, I had a, um, a what, like the manager of the restaurant 
who one day was talking to me about homosexuality. And I'll never forget, he said, um, I was like, well, people choose to be homosexual and they choose to go against God. And I, you know, I taught that since I was a child, you know, and I, this is what I believed. It was ingrained in me. I thought for sure it is sin. As much as God loves the person, you know, you love the sinner, but you hate the sin, you know? So that is such a sucky phrase. (laughs) I know it's terrible. Yeah, yeah, but hate the sin. So (laughs) when I went through all that, and he started saying the words to me, he looked at me and he said, "So if it's a choice, well, why don't you choose to be gay? Why don't you go out and start, you know, making out with women and get it on?" And I thought, "Ugh, I want to do that." And all of a sudden, slowly, something started clicking in my mind that what if I'm wrong? And it began the slow process of me thinking and the fearfulness of it all because I knew everything and I was 24 years old and I knew everything and I thought I was like good to go. And I I probably worked there, I don't know how many years, but I got to, okay, so I'm I'm with these people. I'm, I'm learning so much about the world, you know, like they're like worldly people. I mean, there's drinking. And I remember my, um, my boss saying to me, you have to have wine. Well, he's, he was French. He said, Sarah, drinking, uh, having dinner without wine is like the morning without the sun. And I was like, what? You know, how can I, I can have a million dinners without wine. I'm fine, you know. And he slowly started getting me to try having a glass of wine. And I just thought, oh, God, I am going to hell in a handbasket. This is so wrong. And I had a lot of guilt at the time, and I was all, like, screwed up. So I had a person call me from Minneapolis. Um, So I don't know how long I did that job. Say it's three. I don't know. I was probably, like, 28 or so. And I got a call from my old boss at ORU who had gotten a church up in Minneapolis, a big, huge evangelical tongue talking, Bible thumping, Jesus pray, you know, all the laying on all the hands in the, you know, in the dancing in the Holy Ghost um, job. And there were 11,000 members to that church. It was a huge, 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 you know, mega church. And he wanted me to come and be like the vocal leader, I guess is what you say. He was like a band guy. He also could sing. He was an amazing musician. He taught me probably... 90% of what I know about singing, I learned from this man. He was like a mentor to me. So all of a sudden, here I was like living this wacko life, you know, and thinking to myself, oh, if I could only go back, I just want to step back into that bubble and believe again. I just want to be like recommit my life to the Lord, somehow figure out how to get everything black and white and just jam all my crazy thinking back into something that made sense again. Mm-hmm. So I took the job. Oh, wow. um, it was 1996. Wow. And I went and lived in Minneapolis. And I was I was in charge of the vocals. Like I, I would help them, you know, learn their parts and stuff. And he would do the band. And then we'd put it all together. And um, it was super fun musically. I was just being stretched musically. It was so good for me. I learned how to work on this computer and, like, make notes on the computer and write music. And it was super fun. I totally loved that side. But I was dying inside. I was dating a guy who... Um, uh, back from Tulsa, who was very open-minded, free thinker, like loved everything, loved the, like the church side of things. He's like, that's cool, you know. But he also like read James Joyce, and he, and he, you know, the what's the one, the the evil, the thing about the devil that uh, whatever the that Bible. guy. No, no, not the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is like a famous book of like the people think the devil, the what what hell is because of this one particular book. He loved that book and he was carrying that book at church. And I was like, oh, you cannot carry that book into my church. And he was like, what? And I was like, no, 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 no. They will judge you and they will think that, you know, you're way too open. You've got to like hide that book, you know. Dante's Inferno. Is that it? Uh, Dante's Inferno? Yeah, yeah. He wasn't allowed to carry. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 you can't. Like, you have to carry the Bible or, you know, some evangelical (laughs) writer, (laughs) this present darkness or (laughs) one of those. (laughs) Left behind. That's what you're allowed to carry. (laughs) So (laughs) I was struggling with him being too free thinking and me, like, trying to cover up the fact that my mind was starting to think. And I didn't want them to know that because I would get in trouble, you know. So they were very much into 
I, I was single at the time, so he wasn't, he didn't live there. He would just come and visit and stuff. But at the time, I was living with a woman who wouldn't let me have cards in her house because she thought when I shuffled cards that the evil spirits would come out of the cards oh and permeate her home. So, like, the, there was this big sense of fear of the dark side or of, of the devil and Satan and demons and all that kind of stuff. So I was really scared to do anything that, you know, would make her angry or make the church angry. And yet inside, I was sneaking out on the weekends and going to karaoke bars and singing and because I still, I wanted to sing and have fun. And, you know, it was, it was such a weird time. And, uh, I guess the thing you asked me, what is the thing that, like, is it one thing that really, like, I don't know, know, was there a straw that kind of, where you said, I can't do this, I can't do this. I would say it had to do with the money. I started to really get sickened by the money. Um, Because you... You told yeah. me stories that you would dance. Yeah, 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 and yeah. People yeah. would throw money. Yeah, people at you? threw money on the stage. We would we would raise money for the church, and we were creating an atmosphere that people felt safe to give their money. It's basically we were being used as manipulators to open up people's hearts, minds, and wallets, and give forth their money. And so people started like like people that I knew didn't have a lot of money were giving a lot of money and it was it wasn't just like a tithe but like in the bible it talks about tithes and offerings so they were very strict about yes you have to tithe and first of all your tithe is not on your net your tithe is on your gross so they would make you go to your gross paycheck look at the number and then you had to tithe off your gross and then on top of that yeah 10 percent off your gross and then give an offering on top of that and that is if they say the church you know was refurbishing or they were gonna you know change the music program or they were gonna they were gonna do like a project that's when you gave an offering on top of your your tithe is what what helped the church sort of it was their budget you know what they worked from was everybody's tithe and then above and beyond was if they wanted to you know have a building project or do something special like you know at the church so and you felt the pressure and, and you just did this and there were people giving money that and it I started getting really grossed out by the whole thing because um one day I was singing and they bought our outfits so we wore certain clothes at church that were like we matched each other and we had like there was one point we had glitter dresses like head to toe glitter all the way down and it was like um you know like sequins so it's really uh-huh. like shine and it was for a Christmas concert and I looked down at this like gorgeous sequin gown that I knew cost just a crap ton of money and I was looking at the people who gave the money to make me be able to wear this gorgeous gown and I don't know, something shifted, and I started feeling guilt about the money. And I felt like a manipulator. I felt like it was wrong. Like I started having this feeling like, what if this, everything that I have thought my whole life was right, is wrong? Mm. And I was making really good money at the time. So it would mean walking away from like a, like a real paycheck, like for the first time in my life, like my ORU job was like nothing. And of course, my waitressing jobs were nothing. So I mean, I was used to living off nothing. And then all of a sudden, you know, I was getting paid enough money, a wage that I could afford, you know, to have a car payment and I could afford to have a, you know, a place and all that kind of stuff. So with that, there was like this fear of like stepping out and not having any money, but yet thinking, what if I'm wrong? What if God is not happy with this place? And slowly, little things, like the pastors had bodyguards. So, like, there were people that followed the pastors around because to keep them safe because they were crazies in the world or whatever. They also had their own jet, like a private jet. So they flew everywhere, and they would just – and it bothered me. I just wow. – the money bothered me. Yeah. And, I, you know, I never grew up with money. I never was around money. And suddenly, here was this money – and like, like the church even paid for the dry cleaning, you know, I was oh like, gosh. yeah, I was like, and, and there was something about that that just was like this, I don't think this is right. Uh-huh. So that's, I, I decided to leave the church and I had this idea that I wanted to do theater. 
Did you have, but did you ever have a lot of pressure of people saying, Sarah, what are you doing? You got to come back. You're losing your faith. Yeah, How I had a walk. You're not going to walk away from the Lord. I didn't have the guts to ever tell them everything I was thinking in my mind. What I told them when I left was, because <laughs> I know the right language, because there's this special language called Christianese that they speak. Christianese. Yeah. So there's certain <laughs> words that I know what these words mean, and I know how to use the words so that they will trust that this is what God wants me to do. Oh. And I told them, you know, I've been feeling a pulling in my spirit, um, that I am, I am feel like I'm being led towards um, Broadway, and I would like to do musical theater, and I want to, I'm I feel like God is leading me towards a new path. And what happened when I told them that, and then I I gave them a month's notice um, rather than two weeks because they were freaking out. And the pastors, the main people, you know, with the bodyguards, and Uh they Uh called me into their office with the two music people, and they talked to me for upwards of two hours trying to talk me out of it and telling me that it wasn't what God wanted and they didn't feel good about me going out into the world and that I was going to come in contact with shady people. And I think they were scared of homosexuals too, you know, and that kind of stuff because, you know, in theater there's a lot of people that don't believe like us and and this is not what God wants for you. And it it was a huge struggle to try and walk away. And I felt like... I knew I had to get out of there. I was like, I have got to get out of here. And it, it was like worse. It was like this big log. They were praying over me. They were saying words of um, prophecy over me. And they were praying in tongues over me. It was, it was, it was grueling, awful. And I knew I had to get out of there. And I wish I'd had the balls to look at them and go, you people are crazy. And just slammed the door and walked out. But I, I wanted... They were praying in tongues yes, over you? Yes, over me prophes- while prophesying, while saying that, that this is not what God wants you oh to do. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You're kidding yeah, me. No, no. And it's just it was just selfishness. They knew I did a good job and they needed me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that they, I felt very used there. I felt very, like, looking back now, I'm like, oh, I'm the person who drove everybody's dry cleaning in every week, you know. (laughs) I was like, oh, Sarah, I'll do it. You know, I felt very, I I wasn't allowed to hang out with my friends. Like, I had made friends in the church, and they had this thing that you, they always felt like if you talk to other people in the church, that, that can plant seeds of dissent. And, like, if somebody has, like, an issue with somebody, then that will grow, and that's that's how the devil gets in. So you're not, I wasn't allowed to like have any friends the only people i was allowed to talk to were people who were above me in in the you know the organization of the church so i was allowed to hang with the pastors above me people above them but i wasn't allowed to hang with the choir you know and because they were worried that there would be this dissension and the devil would come in and grab us all so it's really messed up and looking back now i get how messed up it was but at the time I was so scared, and I loved these people so much, and they had taught me musically so much, and I I believed in the place, and I I just thought something's wrong with me, and I got to get out of here, and like, but I never thought what I think is true. I thought I could be on a really fucked up path right right now. <laughs> you can see she just covered her mouth. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> No F-bombs on the Cowboy Jesus thingy on the podcast. Okay, sorry. Anyway, I was—I really thought I was messed up. Uh-huh. But I knew, I don't know what, it was God. I mean, God had to be in there going, Sarah, get out. <laughs> so where did you go? I mean, you went uh, into musical theater. Did I, you just leave the church? I left the church. I packed up my U-Haul. I went, I knew I wanted to go to New York. But I was too scared to just head to New York with no money, no, you know, I mean, I had a little teeny nest egg, nothing, <laughs> nothing to shake a stick at, especially in New York. So I, I went back to Tulsa. Um, my first job, um, I was in Oklahoma, the musical, Oklahoma. It was like an outside production of Oklahoma with horses, and it was super great. <laughs> and then right after that, I moved to New York. It was like the fall of 1997, I moved to New York, and I still barely knew how to sing with my eyes open. I mean, barely. You know, I'd only done what I had done at the at the restaurant. So I. So did your faith evaporate? It gone. I, yes, I Is, walked away because I thought I thought I was wrong. Uh huh. I thought, what if God doesn't love me anymore? I 
there was one, I remember one time I was in New York and I walked into that Times Square church. You know where Times Square church is? Yeah. And I walked in just for like a minute. It was like a Sunday morning and I, I, I walked in and started crying. Wow. I couldn't walk into a church without crying. I just, I had so much sadness just wrapped around the whole, the whole life of trying. And I, it was like I was really happy to be away from those people because I didn't feel controlled and I didn't feel, but I was also like just having the time in my life as probably like what a kid would do in high school. You know, I was, you know, drinking a lot and hanging out with crazy people and singing all night till four in the morning and, you know, dancing. And I was just like, Living life. yeah, like I broke out, out of this. You were breaking I, out yeah, of the cave, yeah. breaking out of the prison camp. But inside I, th- I thought I was still bad. I huh. really, I really thought I'll never sing for Jesus again. Wow. And I had had so much joy in that space that I thought, um, how am I? How am I ever gonna? I, I'll never get back there. So I'm gonna have to learn how to sing secular music, and you know, and see if I can find you know a place where I'm filled up, and feel like I'm giving, like I'm I'm still like ministering, <laughs> except it was through secular music, which is an impossibility. You can't do that, according to my brain, you know. Uh-huh. So uh, my first job after being in New York, I got a I got a job in Myrtle Beach, and I was a I, I worked in a theater down there. That was my first like theater job, mm-hmm. um, and I worked there for like a year. And that year of my life was probably the craziest I'd ever been. I tried drugs. I tried. I mean, I just. But to me, I was a heathen. I wasn't. I was you know really angry at the church. I. Sometimes now, like when I look at the evangel- the evangelical page on Facebook, they have their own like page. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll read some people's posts, and I'm like, oh, I remember that. Like I remember that feeling when I was that angry. It's like like right when you walk away from the church and you're just you're mad, and you think you'll never go back to church, you know. So I know that your next question is going to be, how did I ever get back to church? Yeah, I mean that really is because yeah. So. It sounds like you're like having a finally an adolescent rebellion. Yes. You have the permission. Mm-hmm. You're outside the confines of this really strict church, mm-hmm. and you have this like this freedom mm-hmm. to go to live and mm-hmm. to explore and to do what teenagers and right. college kids and do. And I was 29 years old. Wow. It, it took me forever to sit to walk away, you yeah. know, because I was just so scared. And then yeah. even though you're walking away, there's something in your yeah. gut that says, this what is if I'm wrong? wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> right. This is wrong. You're right. a sinner. So then, okay, so then how do you find your way back into the church? Um, so what happened was, uh, okay, so I'm, I'm in Myrtle Beach partying like crazy. My next gig was a ship job. On the ship, I met Greg. I met Greg. The, Greg is my husband. And I uh-huh. met him the second day on the ship. And Greg grew up Episcopal. Uh-huh. He's very grounded in his faith. He's very solid. He's, I was just so crazy. I'd had so much craziness around religion to me that I never knew there was something that could be like solid like the Episcopals. So he and I, you know, we would talk about faith or whatever. Nothing much because I still thought in the back of my mind he's probably going to hell because he hasn't <laughs> said the sinner's prayer you know the sinner's yes. prayer yeah if you don't say the sinner's prayer you're going to hell sinner's, man sinner's prayer dear yes. Lord Jesus Christ yes I'm a sinner I'm a sinner yeah, you died you, for me for, for my sins thank you, you for, for taking my place on the cross you know yeah. now I'm gonna live my life for you from now until eternity wow. from this day forward I will follow you Jesus so wow. that was my you know now I call it the magic prayer because I think it's just funny that I thought there was this prayer that you would say and then you're all good, you know. Right. You can just your do whatever the hell you want after that. <laughs> okay, so Meg Greg, talking Meg with Greg. Greg. Greg's really solid, solid real together. Grounded. Yes. Still so, is. Yes, still yes, is. still that's the guy he is, you yeah. know. So we left, when I left the ship, um, 
so we got engaged on the ship. Um, we got married. Like, we met in January of 2000, and we were married by December of 2000. So within a year, we, like, you know, met, got engaged, got married. And then we moved to New York, and we lived in New York for two years. So I was now, I'm like 32, 33, 34. I'm 34 or so. And we started thinking about having kids. So we started, and I didn't want to have kids in New York. And I'd never been to Colorado. And he was like, well, and my parents, my dad had passed away when I was 22. My mom was starting to lose her brains. And I was like, if I'm going to have any help with this baby, we got to go to where your parents are. So we moved to Colorado. And we moved to Denver because Denver had good theater. And it wasn't too close to my in-laws, and it wasn't too far away from my in-laws. You know, like, I didn't want to live, like, next door to my in-laws and have them come over all the time because I didn't really know them, and I was worried, you know. But I also wanted them close enough so that, like, if I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing with this baby? I can't do this, that they would help me. (laughs) And they were wonderful people, and they totally helped me with my kids. And any time I had a show, they would come and babysit my kids. And so it, it all worked out. But the reason I went back to church... I was pregnant, and I looked at Greg, and I was like, I don't know when this baby is born if I'm going to be a good mother or a terrible mother. I just don't know, Uh and I need a church because church is where you go, and if you don't have the best mother in the land, there are these ladies at church who take you under their wing, who you can go over their house, and when your mom's driving you crazy, you can show up at, like, I had probably five women that were instrumental in my childhood who were strong, wonderful women who I looked up to as, like, another mom. Uh And I thought, my kid's going to need extra moms because, like, what if I suck at this, you know? I don't know. What if I want to throw the baby out the window? And, like, I might not be able to do this. I was, like, crazy in my space. And so we started looking around at churches. <laughs> sorry, it's true. I'm sorry, don't laugh. <laughs> okay. So I started looking at um, churches, and I knew I would never set foot in an evangelical church or basically any church that was set up like a horseshoe and had three screens, I was never, ever going to be in because uh-huh. it just made me uh, get the hives, you know. And I still, I mean, I still have friends that were like, I had a lot of friends that worked at Ted Haggard's church in um, Color Springs. Uh-huh. So they would invite me down there and I like would walk in the door and just be like, <laughs> you know, it's just horrible. And so I started like slowly trying to tell them that it, my mind was changing and they were not happy with that. So I just, I just didn't ever go there again. <laughs> but then, okay, so here we go. We're trying to figure out what church to go to. And we ended up going to Good Shepherd Episcopal Church on Dry Creek, like right before you get to Yosemite on the left-hand side. Uh-huh. That church was like the first place I had walked in and I was like, okay, I could do this. This is nothing like the church that I grew up in. Nothing. I mean, there's liturgy, and they, like, carry the Bible and kiss it and hold it up to the sky and do weird stuff like kneel and stand and kneel and stand and say things. And, you know, there was a Nicene Creed, and I, I had never, ever experienced anything like that. So to me, it was, like, night and day different, and I was like, okay, Maybe this would be a place that I could I could come. And to Greg, he was like, "Well, heck yeah, I know what I'm doing." You know, he's <laughs> that's how he grew up. You know, he was a cradle Episcopal, so he felt great about the Episcopal Church. I was starting to feel good about the Episcopal Church, and um, I went to a Bible study, and they were talking about um, uh, Joshua. You know, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho and everything. You know, those, and the walls came crumbling down. Yeah. So this woman raises her hand and she's like, you know, I read somewhere that those weren't really walls, you know, that it was really like, it was like a foot tall barrier thing that wasn't really. And I was like, oh my God, you can't say that. You know, I was like so nervous that we were all going to get struck by lightning and we were all going to hell because she said something in the Bible. It wasn't, you know, actually she thought it wasn't true. And I was like, whoa, I, 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 could, I could wrap my brain around that. I could, I could go somewhere where we started thinking, oh, I wonder if this is true. And it scared the living shit out of me. I was like, oh, God, I can't believe I'm even thinking like this. So I loved those women and going to that Bible study. I started singing for them a little bit. Um, I sang for them for... I don't know how many years it was, but um, I, I, I do know because Dylan was probably, he was like six years old when, when we ended up coming here. 
So uh, the reason I came here is because of Mitch. Uh, yeah, yeah, and um, I really uh, singing next to Mitch is magical, and I hadn't had that at, at the church that I was at. Uh-huh. So I was like, oh, and he said, you know what? We have enough money to hire you um, to Christmas. So if you could come here and just do September, October, November, December, and I was like, okay, it's just four months, you know, and we'll see if they're crazy evangelical, if they're, you know, I don't know, you know, what's going to happen. And I was really sort of nervous about coming into a church that wasn't Episcopal. You know, Greg, of course, stayed at the Episcopal church because he still was like ushering and, you know, doing all the stuff he does. So they were, he was, you know, felt like he still owed them, you know, that time. And I wasn't sure we were going to stay, what was going to happen. So then I started coming to church here. And each week, you would say something that I would go home and I, me and Greg would have a theological discussion. Every Sunday it was starting to happen to me where I would like think about things and start thinking, oh, like I remember you were doing the stages of faith and you were talking about stage three faith, I think is the one where you like, you totally believe, you know, and stage four is where you like start to, start doubt. to think what if this is yeah, yeah you yeah. start to doubt yeah and I meant whatever the one is where we're like I was like I've been stuck in stage four faith now for 16 years I remember it was like because 1996 was when I first walked away and I was like I have been doubting forever I just I want to get to the well, how do I get to the next step why am I stuck here in the desert and I went to your office and you said to me what if the reason you're walking through the desert is because you're going to help some other people who will struggle in the desert? And I thought, is that the reason why I've been stuck in the desert for for 16 years, you know? Mm -hmm. And now, looking back, I see how many people I've met along the way that are evangelicals like me who have changed their mind and we have reached out to each other like through Facebook, through messaging, through... and sort of telling my story has indeed helped somebody go, oh, wait a minute, somebody else thinks like me. I'm not alone. And starting to hook people up with the evangelical page and letting them know that there's a gazillion of us out there. You know, you're not alone. And as scary and as awful as you feel and wondering if you're going to hell every day, I promise you, I was there. And I'm telling you, you're not. And that has been probably one of the biggest gifts, I think, to going through this whole thing is to be able to reach back and try to help the people along the way who have, who have, who have been struggling. Oh, so, yeah. That's cool. So anyway. So what is exvangelical? That's a term that we use to mm-hmm. kind of let off with. It's a, how do you understand the term exvangelical? To me, it means if you grew up in a place where everything was black and white, like uh-huh. you were never allowed to even question anything, that to me is evangelicalism, and you know what? You could be you could be an evangelical who's um. I, I mean, I think it has to do with being an evangelical, but I mean, I know Mormons, you know, who grew up super duper Mormon, you know, mm-hmm. and then broke away from the Mormon Church, and and, and you could call them ex, you know, ex-Mormon. <laughs> yeah, ex Mormon or whatever. Right. You know, it's it's basically an evangelical somebody who grew up believing that you had to say the sinner's prayer to get to heaven, believing that, you know, you had to do certain things, be at the church all the time, you know, didn't celebrate Halloween and all those things. We all have that in common. And there's this like, like sometimes people just post something from their past and you just start laughing because you're like, I remember that, you know, and then, but it's so fun to look back and realize you're not alone and that we are this community of people who survived, who got out, and who now we live in the gray goop that is God. You know, there is no black and white ever, and it's just a big pile of gray goo, yeah. you know? Live in the and, gray. Yeah. Live in and, the gray. Yeah. Live so, in the gray. yeah. What's deconstruction? A lot of people talk about deconstruction. What is that? To me, it means, for me, it has been each time something happens where I look back at a certain uh, core belief, and it's like a building block of my faith. It is something that was placed there when I was five years old. And it is deep, and there's bricks of them. And they're all there, you know, stuck together with really good whatever that stuff is that sticks Mortar. bricks together. Mortar. Yeah. 
to me, it's like when something happens that, that takes one of those fundamental things that I go, wait a minute, I don't know if I believe that. It's like taking that brick and you're starting to shake it, you shake it, you get it out of that mortar, and you take the brick and you chuck it. And that slowly deconstructs those things that made you who you were as an evangelical. And that is, that's what I call deconstruction. Now, some people have this thing like, oh, yeah, I de- deconstructed years ago. I deconstructed, da, 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 da. Like, always look at deconstruction in the past. And for me, I have never been able to say, oh, yeah, I, I deconstructed back then. Because to me, every time something happens spiritually, I mean, a lot of it has to do with our church and how we think and things that you say that will make me go, and look at another stone, and I'll find another piece that I need to pick up and chuck again. And it's, it's scary. It's, um, you feel like you go to take a step, and there's nothing to step out on. You're stepping onto air. Mm-hmm. And that is faith. Yeah. So it's, it's just like a completely new feeling of faith where you don't know a friggin' thing. And that is frightening and also liberating. I was just going to say, it's also freeing. Yes. It's also very freeing. Very liberating. And, yeah. very, and very much like, oh, oh, oh. It's like the, the faith becomes so much bigger than this thing that I had right. pushed into this little, you know, right. octagon or whatever shape it was. Right, little box. Yes. So, so yeah, that's what I call deconstructing. And for me, I haven't hit a point where I'm done. Because there's right. always something to think about, to shake loose, and to say, okay, I'm ready to give that one up, you know? And, and I don't know if, if people do truly deconstruct all the way. Because there's something that I, I find fascinating on the evangelical page, and that is the, the people... And the evangelical page is, is a Facebook page yes. that, you, that they can join. If they want, if people mm-hmm. want to join, they yes. can. You um you go to Exvangelical. They ask you questions because they don't want people trolling, like um like people say you still are an evangelical and you're trying to find out more about you know, but uh you have to answer some questions that tell why you walked away from your faith or how you where you are how you're feeling you know, and then they let you in. I mean, and then you just you can go to the page and people you know write their stories and stuff. Oh, no, I can't remember what I was going to tell you about the... Um, oh, you can go to the Exvangelical page. Yeah, you, yeah. Oh, I remember. So sometimes I'll see people post on the Exvangelical page, and they, they're done. They're like, oh, I'm an atheist. Oh, I'm a pagan. Oh, I'm a da-da-da-da-da. And it's, it's funny to me because I feel like those people want black and white. They need it so they feel safe, so they feel their faith needs to be look a certain way. And I feel like when you choose atheism you got it you're good there's no god you're done and i think that feels safe to people who grew up evangelical i think they want they want construct and i think i wouldn't call that deconstructed i would call that in a place of not ready to do it yet you know not ready to keep going with it so i i don't like deconstructing i'm not sure it ever ends and there are a lot of people who say "Yeah, yeah yeah they're done with it but I don't know. You know, it's it's still like everything in life. It's a question. <laughs> well, I mean, so you, how old are you? I'm uh, 54. So you're 54. 50, yeah. So you left the evangelical church when you were 30, 29. 29. Yeah. So over the span of these past couple of decades, yes. you've been deconstructing and reconstructing. Right. And it was so ingrained in you through your childhood and through your 20s that it's literally going to take the rest of your life to... To get it out. To get it out and we put it back together. And to to replace, like, the hurt. Because you don't Mm -hmm. realize that that hurt is in there, Mm -hmm. you know? Because I think, oh, I'm good, I got this. And then, you know, you'll bring something up and I'm like, don't say that. (laughs) Which does happen. You've seen it. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely very fragile in my faith, you know, without realizing it. You know, I think I'm fine, but then, you know, something will happen and it goes, I, I go right back there and I have to deconstruct another brick, you know, so. Where do you find hope today? Where do I find hope? I don't know. I, I am in such a grateful place. I think I find hope because... Because of where I am now here, I'm. A, I'm. Here at Columbine. Yeah, Church. I feel like being at Columbine 
has allowed me to have a safe place to figure this out. And it's when you're scared all the time of everything and, and, and unsure all the time, to have a safe place, I think that that gives me hope. This new job is interesting to me because... This new job? You're the, yes. You're the minister of music here at Columbine United Church. I am. Yeah. I am the minister of music at Columbine United Church. Who'd have thunk I'd be at a church again? Because I really never thought I would. <laughs> but because it's a safe place, and and because I because I come here every day and I'm doing this work, it's like it's real easy to take our faith and just sort of ignore it for a while. But when you work in a place of faith, it is an opportunity that you have. I remember one time Greg talking about. He's like, imagine being Steve, and all you have to do is just like figure out something about the Bible, like sit around and think about God. He's like, imagine if that was your job. He's like, he's like, that just must be so interesting and freeing. And I mean, what a gift that you get to explore your faith side, you know, because every day he spends eight hours a day having to go to work and figure out how we're going to pay these people and how are we going to give the bonuses to blah, 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 because he does compensation, you know. But his faith never gets delved into like compensation's getting delved into. But I have been given this opportunity to come to a place and find music that says what my soul needs to hear to there are weeks that like I will sing a song every day of the week as I'm getting ready to sing it on Sunday and I will cry in my office because it speaks to me a certain way because and I'm it's like this is hope to me like this is this is hope like getting getting to have these hours every day that I'm spending using music and my messed up faith past to come to a place where where I can find music that speaks what I what I need to hear. Right. Or what I think even we as a church need to hear. I mean there's I'm not the only one. You know, there's gazillions of us out in the in the congregation who are sitting there going, uh, uh what do I believe? You know. And that's it's it's just a, I don't know. I, I guess I would say that that's where I'm finding hope. Yeah, you know, I really agree with Greg. I mean I am so fortunate <laughs> to get paid right. to do what I'm doing, to get mm-hmm. paid to do a podcast like this, to get paid to preach on Sunday morning, get paid to teach classes, mm-hmm. get paid to think and read. And I'm, I am the most <laughs> fortunate, blessed human being on the planet to be a pastor. No. So mm-hmm. he's right on. Because I couldn't imagine doing his job. It would right. kill me. It would just kill me. <laughs> I would have to fold up the tent and go home. <laughs> well, Sarah, I cannot thank you enough. Sure. Anything else you want to say to, in, in conclusion? No, I feel good. I don't need to say anything else. All right. <laughs> well, friends, thank you for listening. We went a little bit long today, so appreciate your patience with us and enjoying Sarah's story. I really want to encourage you to share this story on your Facebook page. Uh, send it out in an email or tweets to people. Let people know about this podcast, what we've got going on. Uh, Sarah's story is profound next a week, I'm going to interview Samantha Bronson, our youth and children minister, who has a similar story. In fact, she was just talking with me this morning, said that even though they're decades apart, she and Sarah share a very similar life experience. So it'd be kind of fun to, to listen to Samantha. All right, this is Steve Booz Benson. You can read my blog, also Cowboy Jesus. I publish that on Fridays. You can uh, find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I try to be active on all of those platforms. So a lot of different ways to connect. You can watch my Wednesday shout-out, kind of a midweek, short midweek video that I post here at Columbine United Church as well as on my Facebook page. So a lot going on, a lot of different ways to connect. Thank you, thank you for listening to the podcast, and thank you, Sarah Rex. Take care. Thank you.